Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com for more blog posts, podcasts, and of course, the videos from our live events. Today, I have with me a close friend and colleague named Brian Scrone. Now, Brian is a, is a pretty unique guy. He has been a real estate mogul real estate investor for a long time and has created a company called Board Meetings. And it's not what it sounds like. Board Meetings is an organization that basically brings out fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, it brings families together to have family meetings on surfboards in the ocean. It's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, outside of that, Brian has just released a new book called What Matters Most, and he talks about the five Fs, which we dive into today. Really, Brian's focus is in and around how do you put the things that matter most first? How do you decide what is really meaningful for you so that you can create really great goals for your life? We're all ambitious. We all have a ton of goals, but sometimes we create goals that aren't necessarily aligned with our true purpose. We don't create goals that sometimes leave us feeling fulfilled. And so in this podcast, Brian not only shares a little bit of his personal journey, which is absolutely incredible, um, he shares some really personal things with us today on this podcast, and uh, it's amazing to hear what he's gone through. So if you've gone through some tough relationship stuff from the past, you definitely want to stay in on this one. If you are a father, if you want to be a father someday, you're definitely going to want to tune into this one. Or if you're someone who is looking at creating more meaningful and impactful goals in your life, goals that leave you feeling rewarded and fulfilled and, and feel like they're really meaningful for you and your family, you're definitely going to want to stick around for this one. So without any further adieu, I would like to bring in Mr. Brian Strom. All right, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the Man Talks podcast. I'm excited to have you today. You too. Thanks for having me, bud. So the question, are you ready? <laughs> I am. Million dollar question. Yeah, the million dollar question. That's right. Tell, tell us about a defining moment for you in your life that shaped who you are today and what you do. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting question and different things come to mind. But if I'm going to be you know real and, and honest with you. I'm going to talk a little bit about my book as, as we move through the interview. And uh, the whole front half of my book is, is basically talking about a lot of the trouble that I got myself into as a child in New Jersey growing up. So I wouldn't say it was a defining moment, but I had a couple of things happen that were very big events for me, in particular, a couple of uh, getting a, two different women pregnant in a six month time frame. And then going through abortions with both of them. And to be honest with you, that really, really had a 
profound effect on me and sent me into a pretty deep, dark place that I've thanked the Lord have worked myself out of since, which again, I talk about in the book. But if you ask me that question, I would say that that time, it was a six month period in my life where basically the shit hit the fan, everything that all the trouble that I had gotten myself into from you know, drinking and drugging and, and dealing drugs. And then it all culminated with this six month time frame uh, with these two young ladies. And, um, you know, having abortions was not something easy for me to digest or forgive myself for. Um, and today, as we talk 20 years later, um, still, you know, I always say that the the wound is healed, but the scar tissue remains. <laughs> So it's a process. Um, you know, self-love and and forgiving yourself is a process. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're a big family guy, you know. Like you, you talk a lot about your family. You pride yourself on your family, and and you've really built your life up in such a way to to provide for your family. So I know how important they are to you. Like you, even right now, you're, you're down in Puerto Rico with your family, right? I am. Yeah, we we put the boys in a uh, Spanish-speaking immersion school down here every winter. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, even growing up, I can imagine that your family life was was extremely important and close to you. Absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, the, the all the trouble that I talked about in that that blurry decade from about the time when I hit puberty from like 13 to 25 is when I got into the a lot of the trouble. But again, just to be honest with you, I mean, I grew up in a really loving, nurturing environment, um, Italian, Irish, you know, uh, surrounded by family and friends in my house all the time, every day. Um, so I, did, I didn't have this gnarly upbringing. Um, I just went off the rails, totally self, you know, take, take responsibility. So, yeah, family is, is paramount to me. That's always been driven home to me. My father's Sicilian Italians. So. Uh, that's a, you know, family's, family's always paramount. And I, and I have taken that foundation and, you know, parlayed it into my own family life. Now I have a beautiful wife and two beautiful boys and they're, you know, they're my world. Mm, that's incredible, man. I, I, I feel like there's so many people out there that can relate to your story. You know, oftentimes I meet a lot of people who, who will talk about their upbringing in such a positive way. It's like, oh yeah, I didn't have the messed up family. I didn't have the the divorced family or the abusive parents or anything like that. And it's almost like there's guilt in that, you know, it's almost like that created a sense of guilt in their childhood where they looked out and they saw all these other fucked up families and they, and they kind of like felt guilty for having a, a sort of quote unquote normal family. I don't know if that was the case for you or, or if it was just, you know, a matter of, of like rebellion against, or, you know, the attention to like, are you, are you an only child or do you have brothers and sisters? No. Yeah. I'm the baby of three. So for me, it wasn't, um, it was definitely rebellious. And I think a lot of it, as I reflected and as I wrote the book that, uh, that, that, that you were so supportive of just looking back, I, I think I just, uh, it was a dogmatic environment that I grew up in. My father's a deacon in the Roman Catholic Church. So I think that there was some guilt around, you know, being fearful and, and you know, never committing a sin and all that stuff that you grow up with as a Catholic. But I don't have any I don't have any regrets the way I was raised. I mean, I, again, I mean, if anything, it was it was a beautiful, loving environment. It wasn't perfect. I, I didn't live in a bubble growing up. But I had I always knew I had a home to come home to. I had loving, you know, I have a great relationship with my mother, who was one of my best friends. Uh, great relationship with my dad. Um, the reason, I, if I could put a finger on why I went off the rails, um, 
it was just being a rebellious little shit running around New Jersey and getting in trouble. <laughs> you know, it was a, a very fast paced environment growing up. We were about a half hour outside of Wall Street. So um, not that we, I was raised in a, a wealthy family, not by any stretch. We were just middle class America. But there was that, you know, that smell in the air of, you know, the comp- competitive, uh, you know, chasing dollars. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just... I take responsibility. I mean, at the end of the day, looking back, I take full responsibility for all the shit that I got myself into. No one was taking me by the ear and saying, you know, go sell drugs and go sleep around with as many women as you can and go get in fights in the street and all that. I mean, that, that's stuff that I chose to do and I take full responsibility for it. And, and to be honest with you, Connor, looking back, I don't have any regrets. Um, it, it's incredible how you look back and then you start to connect the dots and I feel just so blessed. Not today that I, again, don't live in a bubble today with my family. I mean, this morning we had a hell of a morning with my five-year-old son trying to get him to school. It was said to my wife, man, this parenting thing is humbling. (laughs) (laughs) But I I will say that for the most part, um, I I feel really, really fortunate. I mean, just getting back from India, you and I were talking earlier. I mean, you go to a place like India and you see the poverty and the the way the, the what the children are exposed to there at a young age. I mean, I always say we have champagne problems here in, in North America. I mean, I really don't have anything to complain about, bro. <laughs> I, I love I love that quote, man. We have champagne problems. I feel like that's so relevant. And, and sometimes, you know, I read this quote from Steve, Steve Jobs the other day, and it was the the 10 things to live by. And one of them said, go travel. And, you know, one of the things not many people know about Steve Jobs is that before he was successful at all, he spent a lot of the time, a lot of time in India in his early, early 20s. And, yeah. you know, he he equates that time as to a huge part of his success because it really put into perspective how good things actually were here in North America. And he still struggled after that. And he still had his own demons and whatnot. But, you know, a lot of a lot of the success that he had was in that space where he saw how other people lived. And sometimes that's enough for us to kind of put our own pieces into perspective. So, but I'm curious just to kind of go back, you know, you, you talked about going through abortions, which is a huge, you know, that's, it's a very controversial thing in our society. And oftentimes, you know, the, all the attention, not all the attention, but the majority of the attention is in on the women for good reason, but there is a huge impact that often gets, missed and glazed over from the guy's side, you know, and I know other men that have gone through that where sometimes they've wanted to keep the child and, and the, you know, their partner or the person that they were with decided not to. And there's a lot of remorse there and, and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm curious as to how you actually moved through that, because what I hear from you was that it was a very challenging and confronting part of your life, as I would imagine that it is. And I'm, I'm wondering how you move through that because, you know, this is so relevant in so many ways, whether you lose a child or whether there's an abortion or whatever the case may be. And so I'm, I'm wondering what your process was like to actually move through that. Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is, is that I didn't move through it at all for a while. I was stuck in shit there for a while and it was a really deep, dark time in my life. Hmm. Going back to my childhood, fortunately for me, I did have this foundation um, and, and I found my own way around it and through it and in it. Um, around my faith and my spirituality. So again, being raised Catholic, it was like this dichotomy of abortion is the cardinal sin, right? Mm. With that being said, I had this this foundation of you know unconditional love from my mother and unconditional love from my father, whom I know you met at, at an event. 
at the end of the day, what brought me out of that funk um, was two, a couple things. Number one was reaching out and asking for help. There's no way in hell I could have done it by myself. I think that you have to take responsibility, but at the same time, you also have to get your ego out of the way and, and put out your hand and say, I need some help. So I did that in a couple different ways. I got some straight up therapy from a shrink <laughs> who helped me a lot. Um, so any anyone that's going through a funk, I would always say number one is, is don't do it by yourself because good luck with that. And number two was um, this, this foundation or this lifestyle that I that I you know was introduced to 20 plus years ago from a mentor called the five F's, which is what the whole book, the second half of the book is about. So the five F's are faith, which I which I started with, and faith for me has nothing to do with religion. Just to clarify. Faith is 100% relationship with yourself and then whatever your higher power is. You can call it God or Buddha or Allah or a cat or a dog. It doesn't really matter. But I think it's absolutely critical that anyone, anywhere in the world who's dealing with anything, um, and we all do have that some, some kind of relationship, number one, with self. And for me, that happens through meditation and getting quiet. And then number two, I do have a relationship with what I call God. The other four Fs seem to flow, which I can talk about. Um, we can go into as much detail as you like. But if you ask me what sort of got me out of that funk, two things, asking for help and, and really nurturing and loving on myself and giving myself the space to be able to forgive myself. Mm. The only way I know how to do that, Connor, is to get quiet and, you know, through call it meditation, call it whatever you want. Taking time for yourself on a daily basis is absolutely critical. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I feel like a lot of guys avoid the word self care or self self love. You know, like a lot of a lot of guys hear that and it's like, oh, that's that's for women. You know, self love is a is a is a girl's thing. And I, I've seen a lot of guys get to this place where they hit this sort of rock bottom. Like what you're talking about is really the hero's journey. You know, like you went on this journey where where you had this. Uh, sort of searching, you hit rock bottom, and you you came back around. And you started you started asking all the right questions of how do I get back into this place where I feel healthy, or how do I get into a place where I feel healthy? And these five F's have really been the 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 parts that have taken you full circle into where you are in your life right now. And so it's really interesting to hear that. But you know, for the for the manly dudes out there. And and even for the women who are who are listening to this and wondering how do I position self love to to my partner, how would you how would you communicate self love to yourself back when you were like seventeen and eighteen and nineteen where you were going through the shit? Because I think that that language is important to be able to communicate that to to people who might not have the same context for self love. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And again, this is this whole thing is a process, not an event. I don't want any of the listeners to think that I've got it all figured out because I just told you this morning we had a hell of a morning with my five-year-old. So I don't have it all figured out. But I will say that if I was talking to my 17-year-old self, a big part of that, and it is today, but especially when you're a teenager, um, is who you're surrounding yourself with. So I think a lot of it comes around to back to uh, what I call the rule of five, which is a, a Jim Rohn. I don't call it it's Jim, Jim Rohn's rule of five, the five people that you spend the most time with is who you're going to become the average of. And that ties right back to self-love, because if you're not creating healthy boundaries and surrounding yourself with the right people, again, good luck. Um, I talk about in the book, you know, the four guys I was hanging out with as a child through that those early years of chaos, two of them are dead. 
from overdose. One's in a wheelchair from an overdose and the, the other one lost his family uh, because of all the debauchery. So moving through all that and going through all that, I really took a step back. And one of the other F's is friends, family and friends. Um, who you surround yourself with is absolutely critical. So I'm really anal about my time and who I invest it with now. So I think that's the bit of advice that I would talk to, whether you're se- talking to a 17-year-old or a 70-year-old, just be real careful on who you're spending your time with. And that ultimately is healthy boundaries. You know, you can love people, um, but if you don't trust them, you're going to have a hell of a time. Trust is the root of all harmony. The, the Dalai Lama is one of, one of my favorite quotes from him. So when it comes to family or friends, again, create those healthy boundaries. Doesn't mean because you're not spending a lot of time with someone doesn't mean that you don't love them. Mm. But you're asking the question about self-love. How do I, how would I talk to my 17-year-old self? I'd say, Brian, be real careful on who you spend time with because that's what you're going to become the average of. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a powerful point. And, and you, you, you touched on healthy boundaries there. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we have a lot of men in the, in the community who have, you know, very recently become fathers or are about to become fathers and I, th- I think for them, healthy boundaries is becoming even more and more important, you know, as they as they become uh, a husband, as be- as they become a father. And, you know, whether they're a business owner or they're a professional, whatever the case may be, healthy boundaries are really important, especially within the family. And so I'm, I'm curious as to how you've created those healthy boundaries for yourself so that you can still thrive and, and your, your family can thrive at the same time. Yeah, really good question. So I've created really black and white pen to paper rules uh, that I share with my wife and my children are young. They're three and five, so I don't sit them down and walk through the rules, but I communicate to them. So to give you an example, um, you talk about some of the guys in your community that are either getting married or starting a family. Um, One bit of advice that I would love to give is, is to always make sure that you are clear in your priorities. Uh, I always use the analogy, the chicken or the egg. My wife's name is Coco. She's the chicken and the eggs came after the chicken. (laughs) I had to have the chicken first before I had the eggs. So with that being said, and what that translates to is, is without exception, we have a weekly date, um, even through going through pregnancy and having the baby brand, you know, I, we, we took a few weeks off from having a date when, when she came home from the hospital with a brand new baby, but very quickly, we picked up those rhythms and routines of nurturing our, our marriage and nurturing our relationship, um, having weekly dates. We have a, a monthly overnight where we just go down the beach and where we live in Florida and get a hotel and just have 24 hours of nurturing the relationship and have that space to have that intimacy uninterrupted. So I create really simple rules. And then going back to the self-love thing for me, um, you know, I take, I always take a a personal retreat every year. Um, I just took a 10 day trip to, to India with a really close friend who my wife was really, really supportive of. So I think sitting down with a pen and paper and, and creating some rules and then sharing them with your loved ones, whether it's your wife, your spouse, your kids, your parents, um, I have rules around all, all four, all five, five F's, um, I have rules around all of them mm. and I communicate them with the people that are important to me. So I'm, I think I've gotten, I think I've gotten clear Connor at managing the people that I care about's expectations of where I'm going to be, um, what I'm going to be doing, who I'm going to be with. Um, and I think when you can learn to manage people's expectations, you have a lot less drama in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I always say to, 
to guys that I that I work with is if you want to hack time management, just look at how you're managing your priorities because it's not about it's not actually about managing your time better. It's about managing your priorities better, and oftentimes that's that's where guys are are misaligned. So I, I love that you touched on that as well. So so tell me about the book a little bit. When when is it when is it coming out? What's it what's in the book? Why should people check it out? Yeah, so you just gave a great segue into the book because the whole the whole premise of the book and the whole takeaway is. Let's get clear on what matters most first, and then we'll worry about what happens next. As entrepreneurs, which I know a big part of your community is, is you know, young professionals, entrepreneurs, men in particular, you know, we are fire red, get it done, get it done. What's next? What's next? What's next? And my my takeaway from the book, hopefully for the reader, is, is to help them get crystal clear on their priorities first. And then they're going to manage their time according back to looking at their priorities. Unfortunately, the masses are their feet hit the floor in the morning and they're not, you know, their schedule is lined out, not according to their priorities, but according to what work is telling them to do or uh, whatever it is that they have the, you know, the, that they're juggling in their lives. So th- the book is, I'm, I'm really excited to be launching um, come May 3rd. So we're a few weeks out. And that's really what the, the book is about is helping the reader through some really simple, effective tools that I share with them, get crystal clear on their priorities around these five Fs, these relationships, which are faith, fitness, family, friends, and finance. And you and I have talked in depth about all five of them. And then once they're clear on their priorities, they're going to invest their time accordingly. For for me, and it's not to uh, project or not to prescribe, but I find after 43 years of ups and downs that faith, I think for the majority of people really when they take a step back, realize that, and again, faith has nothing to do with religion. It's about self-love and, and forgiveness and, you know, relationship with whatever your higher power is. I think that if you get straight on that priority and that relationship, the other four F's are just going to flow a lot easier. Not that you don't have to nurture them and give them attention and invest in them. But I think that when you're, when you're truly in tune with yourself, your family and friends, relationships are going to be great. Work's going to be great. Fitness is a big one for me. I even prioritize fitness before family, which probably sounds contradictory. But look, if I'm sick in bed and don't have any energy, I can't enjoy my wife and I can't chase my three and five year old and take them to the beach and go surfing with them. So for me, you know, I'm really clear on how I prioritize things and then I invest my time accordingly. I would never prescribe for anyone, but I think that those five relationships that we're talking about in the book are universal and timeless and everyone's touching them. So that's, that's what the reader can expect in the book. I mean, the front half of the book is my, um, my memoir, really. I mean, all the shit that I went through and how I worked my way through it and then presenting the five Fs and, and giving the reader some really cool, simple, effective tools that I'm using in my life that I've gotten from people that are a lot smarter than me. Uh, I put my own little tweak on everything, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's the takeaway from the book is before we figure before we worry about what's next, let's figure out what's important for you. There's a disconnect. I, I feel like uh, we call it a congruency gap between what people are telling themselves are their priorities and then how they're investing their time. So my my magic wand with the book is to you know give the gift of the re- to the reader of allowing them to take a step back and get clear on that. Nice. So it's really about setting things up in your life properly 
so that you have meaning and fulfillment at the forefront of everything that you do. Well, yeah. I mean, otherwise, what do we do when we're like a puppy chasing our tail, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very, very true. So what about finances? Because I think that that's something that I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, we've touched on the family part of it. It sounds like we've touched on the faith part of it a little bit. What about the finance part of it? Because you've done very well for yourself and your business. You you, uh, you know, for a long time have been in the real estate industry and you've got this great company called board meetings where, you know, you, you take parents out with their children and, and, and go surfing and, and have these kind of like family meetings out on the ocean surfing, which I think is absolutely incredible. Um, so you've done very well for yourself in business. So what shows up in the, in the finance, the finance section and, and, you know, what could you give out a tangible tool for people that are listening to this podcast? Yeah. So I have a I have a 20 year career in investments and real estate investments is the tool that I use. And for me, I'm, I'm just going to, again, be transparent with you. Am I hyper passionate about real estate? Absolutely not. How, how can you be passionate about sticks and bricks? Right. But I am passionate about serving our investor community. Um, I'm very passionate about the the freedom of time that real estate investments affords me. So I think that the, the takeaway or, or what I talk a lot about in the book is helping the the reader understand the difference between you working for your money and uh, your money working for you or other people's money working for you, which is leverage, right? I mean, you and I have talked about leverage and you can talk about leverage in lots of different ways. But for me, real estate has been a phenomenal tool, not a magic pill because we've been through ups and downs. Um, and I talk about that in the book. But we started out broke. We became multimillionaires before we were 30. And then the the meltdown happened in 2008. We almost went broke and lost it all. In 2008, fast forward to today, we're very fortunate and blessed to be doing very well again. So there, there are cycles in business, but I think the takeaway and the focus on finance um, for the reader is start to understand that you have to invest your dollars. Um, it's great to be – I would never deter anyone from you know, being passionate about what they're doing. But for me, I have found that through real estate, it's created an incredible um, amount of freedom of time, which allows me to, you know, go to India, be in Puerto Rico with my family for a month. I'm still working while I'm here um, because of leveraging resources and people and and, and and capital. But I think in, investing is just so important. It's a, bi- it's a big part of understanding money and what it is and how it works. Because at the end of the day, at some point, you're going to want to not retire. I, I don't even I, I hate the word retire because I think that it's a I think it's bullshit, to be honest with you. But as soon as you stop doing what you're doing, um, if the income will stop. So I think that it's important for people to understand to have some investments um, happening alongside your passion in your career. Um, you, for example, I mean, you and I have had long, intimate, deep conversations and when you were going through your transition of getting paid a very high dollar amount from Apple and then saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to do my own thing. The balls that it took for you to do that, I, I love it and I, I applaud it. Um, not everyone's going to do that. That's the reality. So regardless of what your situation is, whether you're a business owner or you're a full-time investor, I think understanding money is just a tool that can be leveraged to allow you to free up your time so that you can pursue things that you're passionate about. And I know you're doing that. You're living that obviously through through your community and building man talks. I don't know I don't know if you have any investments going on, but I would urge anyone that that that's listening to, if they're not already, start educating themselves on and it's really simple. It's real estate is buy low, cash flow along the way, sell high. It's not rocket science. People get all overwhelmed with investments. It's 
rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two is, is don't forget rule number one. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that, that's a Warren Buffett saying, not mine. But I think that's what I want to drive home to around the finance section of the book um, is to understand the leverage and, and being able to get a, get your money working for you versus you can constantly working for your money so that you can take a break. Not not to not because you're not passionate about what you're doing, but, you know, it's good to take a break and recover and rest. And that's when the creative juices really flow is when you step back from the only way you're going to be able to step out of what you're doing is, is to have that freedom through positive cash flow or through some passive investments. And that's that's how board meetings was born. We got real stable and, and you know, stable financially with our real estate investments that allowed us to take a step back and have that creative space. And then, you know, board meetings was born and the five, the book that I'm working on that I'm, you know, talking about with you is I had the space to be able to do that. If I was grinding it out, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, there's no way in hell I'd had the space to do that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's some, some really good insight. You, you dropped some really good pieces in there. I, I'm curious as to, you know, real estate as a form in, of investment, you know, like we've, we've talked before on this podcast about investments through index funds and mutual funds and that kind of stuff just to help people understand where to invest their money. And I'm curious as to why you think that real estate has been or should be a really good investment because I feel like a lot of people see it as like an RSP or a 401k. It's like this super long investment platform where you put your money into something and then it takes a really, really long time for people to really make any money back on it. So you know, if somebody out there is is looking at investing their money and they're looking at investing their money into real estate specifically, what are some tips that you that you think that they should know? Yeah, so a couple of things. The real estate number one is is hyper uh, local. So what's working for me in Florida is apples and oranges to where you're sitting in New York or, or Vancouver or anywhere in the world. So understanding uh, market cycles in real estate is absolutely critical. Um, I do a lot of speaking on real estate stages um, to this day um, and raising capital for our businesses. And I always go back to the fundamentals. Five fundamentals to look at are uh, job growth, population growth, affordability, desirability, and then supply and demand. Those five key fundamentals are, again, timeless and, and borderless. So no matter where you're investing in real estate in the world. And then really, really understanding where you're at in the cycle, because you can have those fundamentals going on in the market. But if you don't time it right, which is exactly what happened to my partner and I in Florida in 2008, we liquidated and, and made millions of dollars out of California at the top of the market between 04 and 06, then plowed millions of dollars into Florida in 06, 07. And by 2008, we were talking to bankruptcy attorneys. So understanding cycles, um, fundamentals are, are going to prevent present themselves fairly quickly in any real estate market. But understanding the cycle and where you're at, there's a buy, there's a time to buy, there's a time to sell, and then there's a time to sit on the sidelines. And I mean, I could, if you want, I'd be happy to do a, a, a follow-up call on this because there's no way I could possibly <laughs> go into the detail of it. But timing, I, I think the takeaway is this timing is critical in real estate, right? Anyone would know that with common sense. So that's a lot easier said than done because no one has this crystal ball on where you're at in the cycle, right? But I think that if you... It takes real estate takes time. I think you said something really powerful there about uh, retirement accounts, whether you're Canadian or American. It takes time. Guess what? Real estate takes time, too. And it's not a get, get rich quick scheme. Um, we've been at it for 20 years, which is why we're, we're blessed with the opportunity to have some freedom of time now, some systems in place and teams in place. But 
it's a, it should be a long-term play, but I think that, you know, real estate has proven time and time again, it's created the most financially independent millionaires in North America. If you just go back and you can Google that, it's, it's, it's real easy to see. Um, it's, it's proven real estate is tangible. I'm not a stock guy. I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest in stocks. It's just, I'm not knowledgeable about it. So I, I, I find I should not be talking about it. Uh, real estate's tangible. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can fix it. You can depreciate it while it's appreciating. Uh, the tax benefits are phenomenal. It creates passive income, which allows me to be in Puerto Rico having this call with you. So I could go on and on, Connor, about it. Um, I'd be happy to do a follow-up call if you'd like on real estate. Nice, man. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have a, a real estate call specifically for our listeners to understand real estate investing because it sounds like you're, you're pretty knowledgeable about it. But um, just because we need to, we're, get, we're getting close to wrapping up here. In terms of the book, what matters most? It's a it's a great book. I might I might be in it somewhere. Just uh, just for those that are out there, you you are. <laughs> Thank you for your support. Of course, man. Um, but you know it's it's incredible because you take you know life can be very complicated sometimes, and I feel like what you're very gifted at, and the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is that you're you're great at being able to take this complicated situation of life with all these different avenues of how do I make more money? You know, how do I be a great dad, a good husband? How do I integrate health and, and wealth and family and all these other pieces? And you've done a great job of, of simplifying it with the five F's. And, and I feel like it's something that everybody can really relate to. So if there was one last piece of wisdom that you would like to share from the book, what would it be? Before you worry about what's next, figure out what's important to you. Mm. It's that simple. Um, I know that sounds overly simple, but really that's the takeaway from the book is, is like, let's get clear, help you get clear on your priorities. And they're your priorities. I am not here to prescribe by any stretch, but those five F's, everyone's touching them. I don't care if you live in Africa, Europe, Canada, Puerto Rico, Florida, whatever. They're they're borderless and they're timeless. There's five relationships. So everyone's touching them. So let's let's take a step back and help you get clear on what's important to you, what matters most, which is the name of the book. And then you can invest your time accordingly. Everyone, everyone has the same 16 waking hours. You know, you, you and I and all the listeners and the president of the United States and the, the king of Israel, we all got the same allotted 24 hours in a day, right? So once you get clear in your priorities, then you can go and spend those 60 waking hours however you want. It's right. No one's dragging us around by the ear. So I think it's, that's the takeaway is, is get clear on what's, what matters most. And then you're going to invest your time accordingly. Nice. Yeah. I mean, what, what I hear you talking about is sort of the pre-work that needs to be done to setting effective goals. Because a lot of the times what I, what I see people do is they have like the vision board and the goal setting and all of that kind of stuff. And they haven't done the pre-work of this is what actually is really important to me. This is what's really meaningful to me and fulfilling to me. And so they end up setting goals that they don't even give a shit about achieving. And then they achieve these goals and they're on the other side and they're not happy or fulfilled because of it. And so it's, it's interesting because the more that you talk about this, the more that I see that this is sort of like the pre-work that needs to be done in order for people to set themselves up correctly for setting really meaningful and fulfilling goals for their life. Yeah. Yeah. Simon, Simon, uh, cynics, you know, start with your why. I mean, that's a big one, right? You could ask yourself why, why this, why that, why this, why that just ask yourself. It's a, it's an incredibly powerful question. <laughs> awesome. But we don't take the time to do that. Right. We're, we're always running around. 
Yeah, it's very true, my friend. Very true. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Man Talks podcast. If people want to learn more about you and uh, and find your book and 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 check you out, where should they go? Yep. So uh, you can you can get a, actually a chapter download of the book um, and purchase the book at brianscrone.com. So it's uh, just my name, brianscrone.com. And then uh, if you're interested in any of our family retreats, it's familyboardmeetings.com. Awesome. Well, for everyone out there in Man Talks land, if you want to check out more blog posts, podcast episodes, or some of the videos from our live events, you can go to mantalks.com for all of that. Don't forget to man it forward. Share this podcast episode with somebody that you feel uh, could could benefit from it. Leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on us on. We're also on YouTube now. And the last question, Brian, if you were to man it forward and invite one guest on our podcast, who would it be and why? That's a great question. Um, I know you've already interviewed some incredible people. You put me on the spot there, buddy. That's a tough one. Uh, do you, have you have you met or interviewed Phil Randazzo from American not, Dream U? Not yet. No, no, from American Dream U, the the Army guy. Yeah, yeah, and I know that your community is probably you know focused on on men. Um, he he's an incredible guy. Um, Love, love for to see you interview him and him share with your community what he's working on and how he's serving the world. Amazing. Well, I appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks very much, Brian, for your time and for all the listeners out there at Man Talks Land. This is Connor Beaton signing off. We'll see you next week. 